I suspect that most of you all have heard of a place called Cooperstown in New York. Cooperstown, New York. You ever heard of that? It's really a fairly tiny place, but it's been made famous by virtue of the fact that it's the home of Major League Baseball's Hall of Fame. The Baseball Hall of Fame is in Cooperstown, New York. Again, I, I suspect you would never have heard of that place if it wasn't for the Hall of Fame, which is there. Uh, a Hall of Fame... You think about that. There are a lot of different halls of fame. Many of them have to do with sports. Well, various sports have established halls of fame, but other things have halls of entertainment. For instance, you probably know that there's a Tennessee Entertainment Hall of Fame for great country music singers and so forth that have come uh, from Tennessee. Lots of halls of fame, and that denotes the idea of special honor. Honor is being paid to people who are exemplary in their field. Baseball, basketball, football, singing, playing instruments. If you're good at something, you may sometime or another end up in a hall of fame. Well, I, I suggest that idea because we're going to talk this morning about the Bible's hall of fame. You know where it is. We sometimes call it Faith's Hall of Fame, and it's in Hebrews chapter 11. Lee read for us from that chapter earlier and talked about some of the great people who are mentioned there. Noah is in Faith's Hall of Fame, Hebrews 11, verse 7. The next verse, Hebrews 11, verse 8, talks about Abraham, who certainly deserves to be there. Later in the chapter, if you kept reading, you'd read about the man Moses. You'd read about King David. You'd read about some of the great judges like Gideon. There are a lot of people there in Hebrews 11 talking about the great faith that they had. Today we want to talk about one of the men who's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, Faith's Hall of Fame, but it's a little bit different. This morning we want to talk about the only man there who is mentioned negatively, not positively. Today we want to talk about Cain. He's mentioned in conjunction with his brother Abel, but Cain's is a bad example. He is not worthy of honor. And he's one who is mentioned there in Hebrews chapter 11 in a negative fashion. That's kind of bad, isn't it? That'd be sort of like going to basketball's Hall of Fame. And there you see Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is in the Hall of Fame. Greg Gwynn is not in the Hall of Fame. You know, what if they had a plaque up there? Greg Gwynn is not in this Hall of Fame. That'd be, that, that'd be a pretty disgusting thing, wouldn't it? Uh, but that's basically what you've got here with the inference to, or the, uh, the, uh, reference to Cain in Hebrews chapter 11. Why was he there? Look in verse 4. Hebrews 11 verse 4. This is the New American Standard reading. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. We want to key in on the expression, a better sacrifice. Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain did. And so what is being stated there is that Cain's sacrifice was not what it ought to have been. And so we want to talk about that expression, a better sacrifice, and we especially want to deal with the question as to why Abel's sacrifice was better than Cain's. What made it so? Now, we're not in the same business of offering the same kind of sacrifices today, but I hope that you will agree as we study together that we can learn something about what it takes to please God by the example of these two earliest brothers in the Bible, 
Cain and Abel. And especially concentrating on why Cain's sacrifice was not acceptable to God and why Abel's was better. We thank you all for being here this morning. We appreciate very much your presence. We always look forward to our time to spend together in worshiping God. We pray that he'll be glorified by our efforts this morning. Uh, Certainly we believe we glorify God when we worship him as he has taught us and instructed us in the pages of the New Testament. And so we're trying hard to do that here at College View, just simply being a church like the church you read about in your Bible, worshiping and serving in compliance with the authority we find in the Word of God. That being the case, if you have a question about what we're doing here, why we're doing it the way that we do, if you'll ask, we'll try to answer. And we'll try to answer with a Bible answer, a book, chapter, and verse, and a thus saith the Lord, because we believe that's the only way we can know that we are doing what God wants us to do, to follow carefully the instructions in his word. If you have questions, ask us. If you're visiting today, thanks for being here. We're very grateful for your presence. We hope you come back whenever you can. Let's try to answer this question. Why was Abel's sacrifice better than Cain's? Hebrews 11 says that Abel's sacrifice was better. Cain's wasn't good. It wasn't what it needed to be. What was wrong with it? Well, I want to start out from the negative. We can eliminate some things. Uh, these are not the reasons why God didn't accept Cain's sacrifice. For instance, it was not the case that somehow or another God felt cheated by Cain's sacrifice, that God wanted something, that God needed something, and that Cain was not forthcoming with what God needed. And God felt cheated. He didn't get what he deserved. He didn't get what he, he really was craving. It's not like that at all. God didn't feel cheated in this matter because God really doesn't need anything that man has to offer. I may have told some of you before, I remember, I remember well an incident from many years ago before I was preaching full-time when I was working for the electric company. We had a bad storm roll through and a lot of people were without power for several days So they took various ones of us from different job assignments and they assigned us all to the call center. And so although it wasn't my typical job, I I was assigned to take calls during that emergency situation. And I remember one woman called in and she was irate. Her power had been off for three or four days and that's, that's a very annoying thing and very uncomfortable. And she was just pretty hot under the collar. And so as I was trying to explain to her, we're doing our best, we're trying to get everybody, we get power restored, everybody quickly as we can, and all that. She said, well, I want to tell you something, she said. When my electric bill comes, I am not paying for the days that I didn't have electricity. In other words, she felt cheated. And I, did, I didn't try to explain to her, I just assured her, man, that'll be fine, you won't have to pay for those days. Of course, there wouldn't be any way to bill her for those days. She wasn't using any electricity. But she felt cheated. She felt like she wasn't getting what she deserved, what she needed. Well, what about God in reference to these sacrifices that were offered by Cain and Abel? Did God somehow feel cheated by Cain's offering? That, that he, he really wanted, that he, that he desperately needed the right kind of thing from Cain? The answer to that is no. Because as we said, God is not needful of anything that we have to offer. In Acts chapter 17, verse 24, the apostle Paul taught in Athens, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Notice, it's not as though he needs something from us. 
If, if you ever get to the point of thinking that God is dependent upon you somehow or another, you need to rid yourself of that thinking immediately. He is not. God does not need anything we have to offer. And so he wasn't, he wasn't uh, sort of def, in a deficit for, for some gift from Cain, and he was waiting for Cain to give him what he, what he needed. That was not the case, never has been the case. In Psalm 50, verse 10, every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. Everything belongs to God. We're not giving him anything that he doesn't already own. Uh, and so we should not ever develop that attitude. It wasn't so with Cain, and it's not so with us. The fact of the matter is God doesn't need anything that we can offer. That was not what was wrong with Cain's offering. Secondly, we could also eliminate the possibility that somehow or another Abel held a specially favored status with God, that Abel was sort of his favorite of the two. And so he accepted Abel's sacrifice because he liked Abel better. He didn't like Cain. He had it out against Cain. He really preferred Abel. That's not the case. It wasn't so. Now, that happens in the dealings of men. Remember back when we were in school? I don't know if they still use this expression in school, but when we were in school, you remember the teacher had the teacher's pet. You know, the teacher specially favored one student over all the rest. That was the teacher's pet. We always, of course, we never felt we were the teacher's pet, and we sort of used this as an excuse. Uh, that guy or that girl, she's the teacher's pet, we would say. Well, sometimes teachers do show favoritism. Uh, on the job, maybe you've had a situation where you worked, where someone was given special favored status. It's very typical, for instance, if you're on the job and the boss has a relative, maybe his son or daughter, who's also working at the same place, they might get special favoritism because of that. Uh, certainly in politics, we see a lot of favoritism being shown. Uh, unless you've been living in, under a rock the last week or so, you've been reading about some of the scandals in Washington and how some favoritism is being shown. And that maybe even the IRS has been showing favoritism to some people while giving a hard time to others, it happens. Uh, in school, in work, in politics, in lots of realms, uh, some folks are favored and others are rejected. That's, that's just reality when you're talking about people. But we're not talking about people here. We're talking about God. And it is not the case with God. God does not show favorites. He never has. In Acts chapter 10, beginning verse 34, when Peter was at the household of Cornelius... Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. A very basic principle of God's nature is he is no respecter of persons. In Romans chapter 2, verse 11, there is no respect of persons with God. Now, we either accept that as being true or not. The Bible is very clear on that. God does not show respect to persons. In fact, it is the case that if you are the most deplorable person, the most sinful, wretchedly wicked person who has ever lived, God can still forgive you. Uh, there's no favoritism. You could be the very worst person. But if you'd come to God humbly in, in faith, confession, and repentance, God could save you. Notice in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Uh, God does not show favorites. He never has. And so that was not the case with Cain and Abel. Uh, it just simply wasn't so. 
Again, we could eliminate another possibility, and that is that somehow or another Cain didn't have all the information that he needed, and he didn't have the same opportunities that Abel had to know and to do what God wanted. In Genesis chapter 4, when that episode actually took place, it says in Genesis 4, beginning verse 2, Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering to the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel to his offering, but unto Cain to his offering he had not respect. All right, now, just for sake of argument, let me present to you what might be interpreted here. Poor Cain, I mean, he's a victim in this matter. Cain, the poor guy, he didn't know what God wanted, and so he tried to do the best that he could. He was a tiller of the ground. In other words, he, he produced crops and fruits and vegetables and that sort of thing. He was a tiller of the ground, and so he didn't know. What, what's God wanting from me anyway? I don't know. I'm just going to give him the best that I can. I, I'm just guessing now as to what God wants, but I'm going to tell him, I'm going to give him the very best of the things I've got. I've got these fruits and vegetables that I've raised, and and so I'm going to offer the best of what I have, because I, I don't know any different. And the fact of the matter is, he just got blindsided by God. He he he, he thought he was doing fine. He, he, he imagined this would be good. But man, when God rejected his offering, it just blew him out of the water. He had no idea that God would treat him that way. And it was just ultimately unfair the way Cain got victimized in this case. Uh, he didn't have those, the, the same it, luck of the draw, so to speak. Just so happened, Abel, he has flocks. And, and so Abel offers him his flocks because it's what he got. Cain offers him the fruit of the ground because it's what he got. And God, for some reason, want, he didn't, Cain didn't know better. But for some reason, God wanted what Abel offered, and he didn't want what he offered. And it just, it's just completely unfair. The whole thing's unfair, and Cain's a terrible victim in this matter. What do you think about that? Well, we know that's not the case, right? We know that Cain had every opportunity to know what God wanted him to do. Here's the full picture. If we go back to that verse that we're using as the text of our study this morning, in Hebrews 11, verse 4, Notice it says, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. And so, the sacrifice of Abel was by faith. Now, what does that tell us? Well, we know that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Romans 10, verse 17, right? So, when it tells us that this was a matter of faith with these two boys... That Cain's sacrifice was not by faith, but Abel's was. What it tells us is that God had informed them. The right picture, the full picture of what actually happened here was that God had instructed them of what he desired. He commanded them as to how they should sacrifice. And Abel did what he was told and Cain didn't. Now, that, that's the, the simple picture of it. It is not the case that Cain could plead ignorance uh, and that somehow or another he didn't know better and he didn't have a chance to do better. That's not how God operates. Again, God never has operated that way. So we need to understand that we can know what God wants us to do. Notice in Acts chapter 17, verse 30, 
the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. If there ever was a time when ignorance was an excuse, it's not anymore. All men everywhere must repent. God has revealed His mind and His will to us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. I want to emphasize to you here that the Apostle Paul is saying that we are not left to try to guess what is in the mind of God. That'd be a really terrible thing if you stopped to consider it. I mean, here we are, and it's very obvious that there is this supreme being, this creator of the universe. We ought to be doing something, because as great as he is, certainly he deserves something from us, but I have no way of knowing what it is. I mean, I'm completely at a loss. I don't... All the evidence certainly suggests that there is a creator. But what, what do we know about him? And what would we do? How? I have no idea. I'm just going to guess. That'd be a terrible dilemma to be in, right? But Paul is saying we've been not been left in that kind of circumstance. We know the mind of God. He has revealed it to us by His Holy Spirit. And that's a great thing. And so just like Cain and Abel weren't left to guess what their sacrifice should be, neither are we left to guess how God wants us to worship and serve Him. He has told us in His Word, and we should be grateful for that. So, again, if we were just going to eliminate some possibilities, I think we could eliminate some significant ones. It wasn't that somehow God felt cheated by the kind of sacrifice that Cain offered. No, because God didn't need it anyway. It wasn't that Abel was his favorite of the two. That wasn't the case either. God's no respecter of person. And it wasn't that Cain didn't know better. He had every chance to know and do better. Why then? Back to our basic question, why was Abel's sacrifice better than Cain's? The very simple answer is that Abel's sacrifice was better because it was by faith and Cain's was not. Go back to that passage again. By faith, Abel offered to God a more, uh, a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. It was by faith. Now stop here for a minute, because I think there's a point that can be made. It says Abel's sacrifice was by faith, and the implication is Cain's sacrifice was not by faith. But wait a minute. If you were to ask the question, did Cain believe in God? Did Cain believe in God? He did, didn't he? I mean, he offered the fruit of the ground to, to God, so he obviously believed in God. He believed there was a God. So what do we learn about faith here? We learn that faith is more than just acknowledging that God exists. This passage, like so many in the Bible, is proving that the kind of faith that saves a person is the faith that links belief with true, honest obedience. Right? Abel, Abel believed in God too. I mean, excuse me, Cain believed in God too. Abel believed and offered the proper sacrifice, so he, his was by faith. Cain's was not by faith, although he believed in God. His sacrifice was not by faith in that it didn't comply with God's instructions. True saving faith produces real, genuine 
complete and true obedience as commanded by God. And so, right here, we can learn a lesson about what real faith is. The, the religious world of our day is very confused on that matter. And lots of people equate faith with just basic acknowledgement or, or, you know, willingness to say, I believe. But the kind of faith that God has always desired is the faith that says, I believe and I will do what God said and I'll do it the way that He said. Cain stands as an example, and actually a warning to us that if you want to please God, you cannot just serve Him any way you please. You must serve Him the way that He has instructed. In John chapter 4 and verse 24, God is a spirit and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Yes, we've got to have the right attitude, but we've got to do it truthfully the way he has instructed us to do. In Matthew 15, verse 9, it says, In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. You see that? Your worship could be in vain, good for nothing, worthless, if you follow after the doctrines and commandments of men. Cain's worship to God was vain, right? It was worthless. Why? Because he didn't do it the way God said to do it. What about people today? Same thing is true. Worship can be worthless, no good, valueless, if it's not done the way God commands. And so we would say that faithfully serving God means doing things His way, not our way. And it's always been that's always been the case, right? There's never been an exception to that rule. If you're going to please God, you've got to do things His way, not your own way. All right. So what about this better sacrifice? Abel's sacrifice was better than Cain's. Why? I think we've eliminated some things that people might speculate about. We find the real answer when we get to this matter of faith, real faith, genuine faith, the kind of faith that God required of them and that He requires of us. Well, what about you? What about a hall of fame? We started out by saying that these men are mentioned in Hebrews 11, faith's hall of fame. What about you? Are you in the hall of fame of faith? Not Hebrews 11. Obviously, that's a closed chapter, and no more of that's being written. But would God honor you as a person who has truly believed and demonstrated that faith in obediently doing His will? If that's not the case, then you need to change that and change it quickly. If you're not yet a Christian, you need to become one. Upon hearing the truth and believing it, to repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, be baptized for the remission of sins. If you're ready to uh, submit to that plan this morning, we're ready to assist you and be glad to do so. We'd also be glad to study with you more if you need that. If you're a Christian already have, but have fallen away, we beg you, come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing. Jesus, he will save you.